Hey, if you've been around New Life for a while, you know that, that we believe in team teaching around here, that uh, we believe God's people benefit from hearing God's Word through a variety of different um, personalities and gifts and experiences. And in addition to our pastoral team bringing the Word, there are several young men in our congregation that God has been developing and honing their giftings and their skills, and uh, one of those young men is named Andrew Pilitz. And uh, he's got a message that I've asked him to bring to you today that I know is going to bless you, I know is going to challenge you. And uh, so I'm excited for you today to be able to hear God's word. And so I'm going to invite Andrew up here right now, and I want you guys to give him a warm welcome, would you? Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Um, that's a good morning. That's a good one. Wow. Um, hey, I am thrilled to be here with you guys today. I'm honored and extremely humbled to be here with you guys today, uh, and, and so thank you for having me. To me, there is no greater pleasure than to be able to bring God's Word to God's people, and so man, I just revel in this today. So there are a handful of dates in everyone's lives that you will just never forget. Maybe it's a birthday, maybe it is an anniversary. Maybe it's a date a child was born, or maybe it was a date that just rocked your world. And 2-17-17 was one of those dates for me. February 17th, 2017, started out just like any other day. It was an unseasonably warm Friday uh, in Columbus, and it was, it was a Friday, so I was just trying to get through the day to get to the week. Anybody else been there just trying to finish out the week? And so on this Friday, uh, unfortunately, I had a late afternoon meeting, I had a 3 o'clock meeting. And at this point in time, I was working right up the street on Stelzer Road at Abbott. And I had a 3 o'clock meeting that was across the street at a building over there. And so at 3 o'clock, I'm heading out to the meeting, and I'm sitting at the light at Stelzer, waiting for it to turn green, and it turns green. There's a car across from me, and so I pause for a minute because I don't know which way the car is going to go. Uh, but the car starts to go, and so after a couple of seconds, I start to go as well. All of a sudden, out of instinct... I slam on the brakes, and not a second later, a huge semi blows through the red light just a feet in front of my car. Now, the only reason that I stopped was because I heard the truck. He didn't honk his horn or anything, but I just heard something coming. The only reason that I heard something coming was because my windows were down, and the only reason my windows were down was because it was the warmest February 17th in Columbus history, 64 degrees on this February day. And so here I am, I'm, I'm catching my breath and look around, everything's fine, and so I end up going to the meeting, and there's a girl that uh, works on my team, and she was driving behind me. And when we got there, she got out of her car, very concerned, and came up and said, Andrew, are you okay? I said, yeah, 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 not a big deal. Thank you for asking, but I'm fine. And she said, I, I don't think you get it. My best friend, the exact same thing happened to her mom, except she didn't stop, and she got hit on impact, and she died on impact from that semi. At this moment, it's starting to get a little real. And so I collect myself and, and go to this meeting. Don't remember a single word that happened at this meeting or said at that meeting, but I get this text message, and it's a text from a lady at New Life. And we don't text a lot, and it was this long paragraph of a text. So 
I immediately opened it up, since I wasn't paying attention to the meeting anyways, uh, and started to read through it, and she says, hey, Andrew, I hope everything's okay. Um, weirdest thing, today I was driving along the street, and I came to stop at this red light. It's three cars back at this red light in the left lane, and the semi blows past me going towards this red light. And quickly I realize the semi is not about to stop. And then I see a car pulling out in front of the semi, and I realize, man, this is about to be a disaster. Car stops, the semi blows through, and I'm waiting to see how angry this person is, and it's you. So, for anybody to witness this would be crazy. For this person to witness that could not have been a more appropriate person in the world to witness this, and let me tell you why. This lady's name is Sabrina. She goes to this church. And in 2011, I didn't know Sabrina, I didn't know her husband, but I went on a mission trip, a new life, to Costa Rica. And long story short, on that mission trip, uh, Dean, her husband, was on that trip, and he got dragged away by a riptide and had a stress-induced brain aneurysm uh, and ended up dying on that trip. And so the first time that I ever met Sabrina, saw Sabrina, is when she flew down to Costa Rica to see her husband on a ventilator. So I literally witnessed her husband leave her without a husband, leave her four kids without a father. And she was the exact same person to almost witness me leave my wife without a husband and leave my kids without a father. Now when I got that text, it was as if God was gripping me and saying, Andrew, your life is not your own. It's never been your own. It's always been my grace that has been sustaining you every moment of every day. But now you know that, and now I want you to let go and let me work, because I have plans for you. Church, my guess is that I'm not the only one in here with one of these close call moments where you realize that your life was outside of your control. And my hope today is to show you how letting go and letting God can help you find your purpose and help you find unimaginable joy by following in the footsteps of God's grace. So today I've got three simple points for you guys today to demonstrate what the Bible has to say about this, and then I'll close with some application. So we'll jump right into point number one, and point number one is this, it is your life is not your own. It's the result of grace. So if you have your Bibles or devices, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And some quick context here is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth has been having some challenges. Uh, they've been forming some factions in the church, factions supporting different leaders in the church. And so there's one faction that supports Paul. There's another faction that supports another one of the leaders, another one of the leaders. And they're all starting to get boastful behind these leaders say, man, I follow Paul, and Paul is the best one of these leaders. And so Paul is writing to this church, and in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says this, for who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So here we see Paul asking three rhetorical questions. Number one, for who makes you different than anyone else? And the answer, God. All men have been created 
differently. All men have been given unique traits, gifts, spiritual blessings, physical blessings, and it's all by the grace of God. And so here Paul is saying, look, don't glorify yourself. Don't glorify another man for his abilities, his strengths, when it's all God that has given it to you or to that other person. So then he moves on to rhetorical question number two. And and the question number two is this. What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer here, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everything we have, he's saying, is a free gift of God. And what is a free, undeserved gift from God called? grace. Everything we have is by God's grace. Whatever mercies, whatever blessings, whatever physical possessions we have, he's saying, are by God's grace. Now, maybe you are like me, and and you think, wait a minute, Paul, like, I get it, but man, I have worked hard. I have studied hard, went through school, went through interviews. I wake up early. I go to bed late, and I've God, and I've earned the things that I have right now, Paul. And if you think like that, and you think like me, let me ask you this question. Where did you get the energy that allowed you to do those things? Where did I get the brain power to process those tests, to do well at work? You see, if you dig deep enough, it all comes back to God's grace. So then Paul moves on to rhetorical question number three, and it's this. And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And the answer here, uh, right? This is a zinger. He's been building his case. He starts and he says, what makes you different? God, okay. Well, then what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. And then, bam, why do you boast? He's saying, look, it's foolish. I mean, how could I possibly boast about something that I did not create, that I did not sustain when God created and sustained it all. It's kind of like, so I grew up and I was a a big Michael Jordan fan, and so let's say one day Michael Jordan heard about Andrew's fandom, and he comes down to my house, knocks on my door, and I I show up and he says, Andrew, you are my best fan in the world. In fact, you are such a good fan here are my six championship rings. Just take them. And here, here's my jerseys that I wore in those championship games. Here are the stats that I got. Man, you just take them. And I'm like, thanks, MJ. Man, you're up. I love you, man. And so the next morning I wake up and I go downstairs. My parents are there. My brother's there. And I got my rings on now. And I've got the championship jerseys. And I'm like, boom, check out my jerseys. Check out my rings. You guys see my stat lines? 45 points, 63 points. What are they thinking? Like, man, this kid has lost his mind. My brother's sitting there like, Mom, Dad, I've been telling you, 10 years this kid's lost his mind, but here it is. Send him off. Right? That's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, man, look, self-boasting is foolish. But he says, look, I've got the cure, and the cure is grace. Grace is the ultimate antidote for self-boasting. So to further his point on who you belong to, Paul addresses it again now in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, now on the topic of sexual purity. 
He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Did you guys see that line in there? You are not your own. You say, what do you mean, Paul? Well, he says, you've been bought with a price. What price? The price that God paid when he sent his son onto this earth to live the life we could not live and die the death that we could not die so that we can give it back to him. So at this point, we've, we've started to establish that your life is not your own. Like Nobody woke up today and pumped oxygen into their lungs, reached into their chest cavity, grabbed their heart, and pumped their heart to get it going, right? But then the question is, so what? Which brings me to point number two. And point number two is this. Grace frees you from glorifying yourself and enables you to glorify God. So maybe you hear that and you say, why do I need to be freed from glorifying myself? And why is glorifying God a better option? Let's start high level and then start to zoom into this a little bit. God created all things, all things, including us, to glorify him. So Isaiah 43, 6 through 7 says this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So there it is. We were formed and we were made to glorify God, not us, right? Our lives, the world around us, the people that we interact with, our jobs, the things that we have, none of it is about us. It's all about God. And above anything else, God is for God. God is for his glory, not our glory. Now, if you're like me, this concept can be a little bit hard to stomach. Because, I, because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, wait a minute, like, doesn't God love us? Isn't God for us? Didn't God love us so much that he sent his son to die for us? And yes, that is absolutely correct. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. But before God was ever for us, God was for God. And God created us to be for God. Now, I know this can still be pretty counterintuitive. And maybe you think, man, what kind of egotistical, selfish God needs to be praised and exalted and people just sing to him all day long? And if you think like that, let me, let me pose this question to you. Who else would you rather God exalt? You? Me? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've got some problems, and I hope he doesn't exalt me. And not only that, but if God exalted anyone else other than God, would he still be God? I mean, what kind of 
all-encompassing, all-glorious God would create all of this and all of us little people and then bow down and exalt us. Now, here's how his glory relates to us, and this is so, so good. In a mystery that we may never understand, one of the main ways that God chose to glorify himself was to save us. How awesome is that? To glorify himself, he chose to save us, send his son down to this earth to die for us, all to glorify himself. And to take it one step further. If God is perfect love, right? He created all things, the very definition of love, then what is the most loving thing God could ever do for us? Give us himself. And he's done that. Do you guys see that? How good is that? I mean, for me, like how could I not want to glorify that kind of God? So God created us to glorify him, but then came Adam and Eve, right? And we, we all know this story. Adam and Eve chose to glorify themselves instead of God. And what is that called? Pride. Right? It's the belief that I'm in control, that I got myself to where I am. And it's exactly what Paul is warning us against in 1 Corinthians. He says, don't boast. Don't be prideful. So Adam and Eve was the first human sin, but the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And so we are all born sinners. Right? We all have prideful hearts that yearn for our own glory, for our own honor. And you guys feel this, right? We live in a me, me, me culture. Right? Just look around. It's all around us. And one piece of evidence I'll give for a, a culture of self-glorification is this. Self-ease. Selfies. Right? It's the very definition of the word, it is about self. And we love our selfies, don't we? In fact, we love our selfies so much, we invented a stick to help us take even better selfies. And then we take those selfies, and then we post them for all to see. Now listen, I get it. There are times when selfies uh, have a role. I have three kids, busy life. Sometimes a selfie is the only way you can capture a good family time. And I can probably guarantee you'll be taking a selfie later today. But I wonder, I wonder how many times we're taking that selfie for ourselves and as a look at me type statement. And so this is us, right? We were created to be God glorifiers, yet we're a broken creation of self glorifiers headed for eternal destruction. But praise God, that is not the end of the story, because we have been created a new creation. God has made us a new creation. So in 2 Corinthians now 5, 17 through 18, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So, we were 
a broken creation of self-glorifiers, but now we are a new creation, literally transformed from the inside out to be a new creation of God-glorifiers. How awesome is that? And, and I love what Paul does here because he knows that even in our glorification, even our new creation status, we can be self-boasting. And so what does he say? He says, all this is from God. 100%, even our new creation status is from God. All of it. Not even in your new creation status. All of it is from God. And so maybe you say, look, I get it. God's grace freed us from ourselves, uh, made us a new creation of God glorifiers. But Andrew, what does that look like? And what I would say to that is look around you. Right? We have some amazing new creation self-glorifiers walking the halls at New Life. And these New Lifers have some amazing, amazing God-given traits. But today I want to focus on one of those traits that God has been teaching me a lot about recently. And that's this. Those who are a new creation have a loose grip on the things of this world yet have a firm grip on the things eternal. And I want to share two biblical examples of someone who has a tight grip on the things of this world versus someone who has a loose grip on the things of this world. And the first example is going to be one that you guys should be pretty familiar with. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, and I'll be reading the version out of Matthew 19, 16 through 26. And it says... Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but say it with me, but with God, all things are possible. You see, the rich young ruler was on a performance plan. That's why he says, what, what do I have to do, Jesus? What's, what's my five-step plan? Give me my five steps, and I'll do it. Just tell me what I need to do. And Jesus says, no. They're about what you can do. It's all about me. But listen, if you want to do your way to heaven, there's a standard. And that standard is perfection. And so if you want to be perfect, Jesus knows here he's got a firm 
grip on his wealth. And what does he say? Sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. And the rich young ruler drops his head and walks away. And I love what verse 26 says, because here, here are the disciples, and they're looking at this guy like, this guy's done everything right, but yet this guy cannot get to heaven. God, who can get to heaven? And this is so good, because Jesus brings it right back to himself, and he says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, it is only through grace that we can be transformed into a new creation And it's only by grace that we can have a loose grip on the things of this world. The next group I want to focus on is the early disciples. And I'll be reading out of Matthew again in chapter 4, 21 through 22. And it says, Going on from there, he saw two older brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So at this point, Jesus has just started his ministry, and and we don't know for sure, but presumably James and John have probably at least heard about Jesus, maybe heard one of his sermons, maybe seen some of the things that he's done. And so they're out on this boat, and Jesus walks by and looks at them and says, James, John, come, follow me. And what does it say? Immediately. I'm looking at that word. I'm thinking there's got to be a different translation. Like that's not possible. Nobody just immediately gets up and goes. Not only that, they're leaving their father. It's like I'm leaving all my stuff and my father. I mean, at the very least, I'm thinking Zebedee's probably like, James, John, come here. Let's talk, man. I know you're like 20 years old and you think you know everything about the world, but you don't. And I got this fishing business and you can't just leave. No, none of that. They immediately go when they have the invitation from Jesus. And so on one hand, you have the rich young ruler who has a tight, tight grip on the things of the world. And in this case, specifically his wealth. And he cannot release that gift to receive the gift from God that Jesus is offering him. And on the other hand, you have these disciples that have such a loose grip on the things of this world that they, when they get the invitation, they immediately leave. When they see their eternal father, they leave their earthly father and they follow Jesus. Church, how many of us are gripping onto this world and its possessions with everything that we have today, only to hear God say, let go and let God. Let go and let me work. Let's do a a quick little exercise. Everybody take your hands and form a fist. Squeeze hard, squeeze a little bit uncomfortably hard and hold it there for a second. This is what it feels like to have a firm grip on the things of this world. My job, my money, my family, my time, my reputation, my life. Now release that grip. Do you guys feel that? This is what it feels like to have a loose grip on the things of this world. No, Jesus, 
your time, your job, your money, your family, your reputation, Jesus. It's all yours. And not only that, but how much more are we able to receive with this posture than this posture? Right? How much is God wanting to pour onto us, but we are just gripping on to those things? I love, love, love this quote from Martin Luther, and he puts it so well. He says, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, got it. It's by God's grace that I'm breathing today, that I'm here today. This saves us from glorifying ourselves and allows us to glorify God. But Andrew, that just does not sound very fun. It doesn't sound like the good life, which leads me to our third and final point, and that is this. The God-glorifying life is the best life you could ever imagine. Listen, if you want joy, if you want happiness, if you want exhilaration, you want Jesus. You do. Everybody's looking for it, but only a few know where it's found. Think about it. Every single song that we hear, every single movie, everybody's looking for it. And they're finding it in things that last for a moment and then the next moment are gone. And maybe you hear that and you're like, look, Andrew, I hear you, but man, I've been in church, I've been around this place, and I've been out there, and let me tell you, out there feels a whole heck of a lot more fun. Okay. Well, God created us for his glory, right? We've, we've established that, which means that that is your purpose. Let me say that again. Your purpose is to glorify God. And we all might do that in a little bit of a different way, but that's our purpose. And so, so doesn't it make sense that if that's our purpose, doing our purpose should feel good? Doing our purpose should feel awesome? I mean, think about if you are a Tesla, for example. Your purpose is that you've been designed to drive, to drive fast, and to drive efficiently. But let's say you're a Tesla, and you're driving by a lake, and you see some boats on the lake. You're like, man, those boats are having the time of their lives. I want to be a boat. And so you drive up to the dock, you hit the gas, and you jump into the water, and then boom, you start to sink. All of a sudden, it doesn't so feel so good to live outside of your purpose. Now, if you're the Tesla, you're driving on the open road. Man, that feels good. But does God want us to begrudgingly do his purpose, do our purpose? I mean, does he want us as a Tesla to say, all right, God, I know you're calling me to do this, so I'm going to do it, but I really want to be on that water as a boat. No. God wants you to delight in him. Oh, this is so good. Psalm 37.4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, it doesn't say, be okay with the Lord. Just do it for the Lord. Because your wife or your husband or your children just asked you to go. No, it says, delight in the Lord. Be thrilled. Be excited for the Lord. Let me try and 
give you a couple uh, analogies to, to, to bring this to life for you. Let's say it's Father's Day. And I'm waking up on Father's Day, and I'm waking up to the whispers outside of my room, and my wife is there with my daughter Madison, and I, hear, I overhear her saying, look, Madison, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. Get in there, tell your father, happy Father's Day, give him this card and this gift card, and tell him you want to spend the day with him. And so I see Madison walking in begrudgingly, and she says, happy Father's Day, Daddy. I got you this card, and I got you this gift card. I spent a lot of money on it, and Mommy said that we should spend the day together because you would enjoy that. So what do you say? <laughs> now, how do you think I'm feeling in that situation? I'm feeling a little bit used, right? I'm not feeling glorified in that moment. But maybe you say, wait a minute. Isn't she being selfless in that moment? Isn't that the definition of being selfless, of doing something you don't want to do just because you know that your dad wants you to do it? Now, let me give you another scenario. So let's back to it's Father's Day, and this moment I'm sleeping, and then, bam, the door opens. My daughter comes and flies onto the bed and says, Daddy, 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 happy Father's Day, Daddy. Hey, Daddy, I made you this card. I drew it all day yesterday. And Daddy, I bought you this $30 gift card from Home Depot, and it took me three months to make up that butter, but it doesn't money. And Daddy, can we just spend the entire day together? Because nothing would make me more happy than spending the day with you. Oh, how do you think I'm going to feel then? Man, I'm going to feel good. Man, I'm going to feel glorified and exalted by her in that moment. But wait a minute. Isn't she being selfish in that moment? I mean, the only reason she wants to spend the day with me is because it brings her happiness. And that's exactly how God wants us to approach him. Do you see it? This is how God feels when we delight in him. John Piper puts it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so, listen, why has God designed us to glorify him? Because delighting in him, glorifying him, is the most delightful experience we could ever have. Do not miss this. God's desire to be glorified and our desire for our happiness are not at odds. They are in perfect harmony. Hear that again. God's desire for his glory and our desire for our happiness are not at odds. They are in perfect harmony. Man, this was an epiphany for me when I truly understood this. You see, look, many of us think that to be a Christian, you need to suppress your desires because doing what I desire is bad for me. Listen, suppressing your desires is not the answer. Focusing your desires on the most desirable things is the answer. God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. C.S. Lewis captures this perfectly in this quote, and he says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There it is. You want joy? You want happiness? You want exhilaration? You want Jesus. Stop aiming so low, Christian. Stop settling for these momentary little pleasures that one moment are here and the very next moment are gone. Isn't it exhausting? Nothing can give you pleasure like satisfying yourself in your maker. And once you get this, it will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize your faith. Gone will be the days of showing up for some boring form of religion called Christianity. And here will be the days of unfathomable joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, true joy comes when you let go and you let I mean, think about it. Think about the rich young ruler. How much joy did he forfeit because he could not let go and let God bless him with unending joy? What is God calling you to let go of today? Maybe you're like me and you've been living with false assumption that your career is your own, that your money is your own that your kids are your own, that your reputation is your own. Listen, whatever that thing is, you are not the owner of that thing. Let go and let God work. So I've been praying for months, actually, for for God to speak to every one of us here today, and I want to help you guys take the next step. Um, so everyone in their sermon notes here on the back, you'll see this little cutout. And if you don't have this or you want one that's already cut out, the ushers will be in the back with these cards as you leave. But there's this cutout, and there's a blank, and then under the blank are four letters, I-N-M-O, INMO, creating new words today. And INMO stands for is not my own. What is your INMO today? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal an area of your life where you've been living with false ownership. And after we're done praying, I want you to write down in that blank whatever the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart today. And then take this home and cut it out and put it somewhere that you will see it every day. Maybe it's your mirror, maybe it's your dresser, maybe it's your car, your work, wherever it is. Put it somewhere where you'll see it every day so you can remind yourself who that thing belongs to and you receive the grace of God in that moment. Listen, maybe you are here today and and you say, look, I'm not truly a Christian. Andrew, I hear all that stuff you're saying about joy. I hear all that stuff you're saying about happiness. But man, I don't think that's possible. It is. It's a free gift of God waiting on you right now. Listen, the Bible says, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God, 
loved you so much that he sent his only son to live the life that you could not live and die the death that you could not die so that we could give him our sins and experience him, experience his joy for eternity. Listen, if that's you, all the Bible says is repent of your sins. Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, I need you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If that's you today, no joke, this will be the best day of your life. Do not miss it. If that's you today, talk to somebody. We're going to have prayer partners up here today. Talk to the person that brought you. Talk to one of the Christians around you and share the good news with them. This could be your day. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, Lord, I thank you for your words today. Lord, you are awesome. You are amazing, Jesus. Lord, I pray that in only the way that you could do this, you can make this message, you can make the takeaways that you've given your church sticky today. Lord, may it stick with each and every one of us, Lord. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would show us that thing that we've been living with false ownership, Lord, that we could turn over and give that to you, Lord. And I pray that when we do, Lord, you give us joy unimaginable. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.